Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode, you have learned something, or at least if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Gonna Eat Your Fat? My name is Dina. I'm Brian. A little bit about us. We've been married for 30 years. We have five kids. And we met in high school and dated for 10 years. I am too a recovering addict. I am recovering from anorexia. It was 27 years ago that I went to treatment. Um, It was my second treatment stay that really kicked my butt and helped me so much that I'm forever grateful. I grew up in a family where my parents, when I was about 14 years old, separated and then later divorced. It was very traumatizing on me. I'm the youngest of four children. I have three older brothers. There's a big age gap between my brothers and I, so that when I was young, I was probably about five years old, two of them were out of the house and grown. My dad was kind of an absentee dad in my life. He worked all the time. That was his priority. My mom was very loving, and so was my dad. But my mom, especially, I was very close to, probably to a point where we had an enmeshed relationship, where we were too close. We shared things with each other that maybe we shouldn't have. I was kind of her confidant since my dad wasn't around. She shared things with me that maybe she should have shared with another adult rather than me. So I grew up rather quickly. Yes, you would say I never had a problem with weight as a child. I was rather tall and thin. A lot of friends and neighbors growing up would have nicknames for me, such as Dina the Dinosaur or Skinny Skeleton. Never had a problem with food growing up. Wore a lot of baggy clothes. Could eat whatever I wanted to. Never had a problem. I guess we'll go into my mom was always on a diet growing up, and she couldn't stay on the diet, but it seemed like I could. I met Brian when I was 16 years old in high school, and he was 17. And we met in choir, and we dated throughout high school and college um, until we were married in 1993. You know, from my perspective, I always thought she was in great shape. Uh, You know, people would say your girlfriend at the time, same person though, your girlfriend is so thin, she should be a model, she should pursue this or that, and it was a point of conversation, but it wasn't, um, health-wise, it wasn't an issue. I do remember in high school, there was a, I think I was a freshman in high school, and there was a young girl, and she was older than me by a couple of years. I think she was a senior, and she ended up dying of an eating disorder. And I remember the red flags just started coming up just because I was so thin. And who knew that, you know, maybe 10, 15 years later that I'd be facing that same problem and dilemma. 
I guess after we were married, Brian would agree, that's when the eating disorder probably showed its ugly head even more, I think, because I didn't have to be as open with people. I could be more secretive. I didn't have to hide as much because, you know, my mom was under my foot all the time wanting to weigh me. And now I had that independence. It didn't go unnoticed by many people, but my mom growing up was a nurse and she knew a lot of the medical background. But because when I was facing my eating disorder, I was an adult, she couldn't put me in a facility legally. And I think that was difficult for her, um, where a lot of fellow colleagues would tell her, like, you'd have to do something. Well, she was like, there's nothing I can do because she's an adult herself. Well, and I think to some degree, maybe people need a social background for this a setting, if you will, that when we're talking about the late 1980s, it was a time where the only point of reference anybody had for an eating disorder was would be Karen Carpenter. And there were beginnings of, you know, this is a thing called anorexia. And you can see, you know, these people are so thin, but they still in their head, they think they're, they're fat. And, you know, to say that there's an understanding back then, what we have today is not accurate. We really didn't know. I mean, people were thin. I mean, it was no big deal. They just were, that's their body type. We didn't understand eating disorders wasn't even a thing people said. You know, it was just, oh, that's, that's just how they're built. You know, they've always been thin. The point of reference of having somebody treat an eating disorder or understand an eating disorder as an addiction certainly didn't exist, not even a little bit. So I think it's important, you know, as my wife shares her story, that you have this background of, yeah, I had this problem and I was always thin, but nobody knew what that meant and the implications behind it. I want people to know, like, I didn't, my goal wasn't to be an anorexic. My goal wasn't to try and, you know, almost kill myself. Initially, like I said earlier, like my mom was always on the diet. She would start it. And because it was just her and I at home, she wasn't going to cook separately for her. Now, that didn't mean I was just having, you know, broccoli and steamed chicken or something like that. But she would start something and then I should start eating healthier. And so I started eating healthier. And then she would like let it go. And then I would stay on it. And that happened over and over again. And I can mention, which I probably can't say the names of the companies, but she was on a diet consistently. I remember going to the mall with her as a child and being in the dressing room with her because I was so young. And she would look at herself and say, look, I look nine months fat. And there was always something said about her body. I think you mean nine months pregnant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> nine months pregnant. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just keeping you honest. Yeah, thank you. But she never had an acceptance of her body. She would look and point out flaws that we all have. But to take somebody, you know, an impressionable person who still 
uncomfortable about their body and pointing out your imperfections is kind of odd, just speaking from a dude's perspective. Yeah. And I'm not blaming my mom. I'm not blaming moms out there in general. I'm just saying that's how I saw things. And I guess I could hold on to something and really go with it where she, part of her problem, and I think she got mad, was that I could stay on the diet and she couldn't or the food plan or however you wanted to say it at the time. And that's how I pretty much lived my life in my teenage years with her. I don't think that's why I got into my eating disorder at the time. I mean, the, the biggest question I get if I speak anywhere, I talk to somebody, they're like, so how did you become an anorexic? What is it that made you want to turn that, you know, road and go that way? There is no one reason why I became anorexic. There's multiple of things. I mean, I started off, like I said, I ate healthy. I was exercising. I was watching what I was eating. And then people were like, oh, you look nice. You look great. And I'm like, okay, this is doing something for me, you know, and I'm getting compliments. And then it started to go the other direction. And I don't think it really had so much to do about the food. It had so much to do more about what was going on in my life at the time. And that was the only thing I could control. I do remember from my point of view, the craze around cholesterol and everybody was getting their cholesterol tested. Have your cholesterol tested. You'll die if you don't get your cholesterol tested. I remember both Dean and I went and had our cholesterol tested and anything over 200 was a cause for concern. And I remember, I think mine came back at 112 and Dina's came back at like 262 and there was genuine concern about that. Just that number and just that, you know, health concern, I think helped perpetuate the, the OCD and the disordered eating. Definitely because my mom, I found out later that I had high cholesterol, but it was all the good kind of cholesterol. And I really didn't need to worry about it. We didn't know about the good cholesterol back there. It was all bad. So my mom had hired a dietitian, and we went around the grocery store one afternoon and the dietitian was showing us um, and categorizing foods as good food and bad food. And I think that is where I started looking at food a little bit differently. And I won't say that's the reason that I became anorexic, but that was a good start. It's not a reason, but I think it's, I think anybody can understand that even has a, a basic understanding of what OCD is. And I think disordered eating also has a component of OCD, but you can start to see how this feeds into an OCD of, I get these messages, I'm doing these things. These are good things. These are bad things. And you want to do the good things and, and the numbers and the calories and the, you know, and I think it just kind of snowballs into this, um, it, well, I don't know if it snows snowballs into the dis disordered eating, but I think it certainly feeds the OCD, which is an element of the disordered eating. Yeah. And I guess the goal of our podcast is that we're here to help others and other families know that they're not alone, that we can be of help, comfort, we hope so, hope, 
I'll say when we were going through, when Dina was struggling with the addiction, which was our addiction, because it wasn't just her, it affects everybody. I mean, you know, it's been said that addiction is a disease that destroys families. And that's certainly the case here. And it's true in, in every addiction. Trying to understand that and having that journey. And like I said, you know, it was a different time. And we really didn't understand. It took a long time to have an understanding of really what's going on. So I think in terms of why we're doing this podcast is in part to add a voice to a a segment of people that really don't have a voice and don't know where to turn. And it can be a devastatingly lonely disease. And you just feel like, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. And, and that does bring a lot of despair. And, and I think, I don't want to speak for Dina, but it certainly for me, it was a very lonely time and a very frustrating time. And if I had heard, you know, somebody has some insight or even somebody, I mean, it would have blown my mind to know somebody who was on the other side of it and had had recovery. It would have been a, a revelation and I would have had a million questions to ask that person. So, you know, part of the journey we hope to take you on is that journey of you may hear something familiar here. And that hopefully will prompt you to investigate, to explore, to, you know, find healing, health, and recovery. And I know that, of course, I may not be able to reach out to the addict because I know the feeling of when people are trying to help you but all you see is criticism and all you see is more pushing and pushing and not understanding. I understand that. And I hope you don't just stop listening because of that, because I, we're not here to scare you, but we're here to help. And if you have no one else to talk to, now you have two people to talk to and listen. And we might be reaching out more to the families because it's not just the person with the addiction going through this, all of you, all of us have to learn how to cope. We all have a part in it. And that's not to blame anybody. That's just to say it's a family disease. You know, you certainly can watch your loved one die daily. And that can be an, a very frightening thing to witness. And you try everything to try and get that person help, whether it's, you know, yelling, screaming, kicking here, I'm going to do this here. We'll try that. I mean, there's a whole bargaining process of, Hey, would you do this? Hey, would you do that? And, and ultimately, you know, you read the books, you, you do the research and really, I mean, at the time we were going through it, there was absolutely <laughs> very little resources in the way of here's what it is and here's how you can help. And so. Ultimately, I think that's the purpose of this podcast is not only helping those individuals who struggle daily with a, an eating disorder, but also support for the family, because you may be climbing the walls, you may be kicking and screaming, you may be throwing up your hands and going, I don't know what else to do. It's at that point, we want to be able to go, here's what you can do. Here's how it works. 
and offer those type of insights and support. And we hope that like when you do call us or when you reach out to us with questions that we can say, we know maybe try this place or we there's a place where you live and that we can be a sounding voice for when you guys are weak, we can be strong and lift you up. But just know that every day that you keep trying, you can make it. I swear to you. And we'll share more and more about my story as we have this podcast on. But I want you to know that I I was in my eating disorder for eight to 10 years. I lost my periods. I never thought I was going to be able to have children. It took over my whole life. It was the most important thing in my life to me. I was a newlywed. I cared more about my eating disorder than anybody else. It came before anything else. Even, for example, my mom and someone had called me. My mom had gone to the emergency room, but I had to do something because Dina needed something and I needed to do this act and perform this act because that made me feel better before I could reach out to her and help her. And I promised myself once I got into recovery that now when my mom had cancer and was dying, that I promised her that now it was time for me to help her. And I'm proud to say that I've been in recovery, but that doesn't mean anybody, you know, a part of relapse is part of recovery. And I'm not saying like that's an excuse to relapse, but it is. There is no perfect recovery. But I'm so grateful that my family stood by me and my husband especially. And that God helped me so much recover. And it was a lot of hard work. Uh, It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I've been blessed in my life since then. I have five beautiful children. I have a husband that I adore. And I'm able to live my dream again that I never thought I was going to be able to do. So there is hope out there to those moms and dads and sisters and brothers and friends. Just love them. Let them know that you're there for them. And let us come in and help you however we can. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it.